A mystery was solved, I guess yesterday, but more so today. Remember when we were talking about Prime Minister Justin Trudeau earlier on London Live? If you missed it, this would have been Wednesday. And we were talking about the idea that we'd heard him say he was going to apologize to the Inuit. We got a an email from Dave saying, did you hear that? And I thought, yeah, you know, I... I heard that too, and it didn't make sense. And then we do get the Inuit apology. He wasn't able to make it yesterday because of bad weather. They couldn't land in a Iqaluit, but that's what that was. It kind of stuck in the whole news conference that he was giving on Wednesday. So now, makes more sense. We've solved that mystery. We might not solve any mysteries on the show today, or who knows? Maybe we will. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about vaping. If you have a teenager, chances are they're at least around vaping. They may vape themselves. They may not. Teenagers need to be less teenagery. But we were all there. You have this feeling of invincibility when you're 16 years old. You think you're a lot older. You think you're a lot smarter. Now, you know, you get into an older age and you even look back to last year and you think, how dumb could I have been? can't believe how dumb I used to be last year. But certainly when you look back at being a teenager, wow. (laughs) How dumb were we when we were teenagers? Unbelievable. So we're going to be talking about vaping from that perspective. We're going to get some information from the school board. And then we're actually going to speak with someone who does vape but is a grown adult. And we'll be able to fill us in on his perspective of things. So we've got a wide-ranging array on vaping for this Friday. We are also going to be in conversation with Lynn Pijot. I don't know if you know Lynn's story. Lynn's brother, James, she called him Jamie, died at the Elgin Middlesex Detention Center last January. Family was notified on a cold January day that... He had died while in prison, and he was in a wheelchair at the time. And a lot of this, again, brings to light issues at the Elgin Middlesex Detention Center. And Lynn is trying her best to do something about it, raise awareness at least, bring about more conversations. And that's something that needs to happen because, again, and it was mentioned on London Live this week, we have had no action by the government on this. Doesn't matter which government, the liberals tiptoed past it. We haven't heard the conservatives do anything about it yet. So this is not laying blame against right, left, or center. This is calling out the entire shooting match. What's wrong here? Why aren't we doing anything? Why aren't we looking into this? Why do we continue to have violence? Why do we continue to have lockdowns? And why do we continue to have deaths? When James Peugeot died... He was the 13th death from 2006 to 2018. It's too many. So we'll talk with Lynn in about an hour from now. April Clark will join us from the Western Women's Hockey Team, OUA Player of the Year. We are also going to talk about some OHL stuff. London Knights play tonight. They are in action against Flint. They will be home to Saginaw tomorrow. There will be a 15-year-old in the OHL next year. Last 15-year-olds we've had, Connor McDavid, Aaron Ekblad, 
John Tavares. They've all gone to a place called the National Hockey League to apply their trade. Shane Wright might be the newest name to get to know. He plays for the Don Mills Flyers. He's 14 right now, but he's been playing a year up for a long time. Special player. And he was granted exceptional status today. So talk more about that in a little bit as well. But let's begin with vaping. I don't know if you do it. I don't know if you know someone who does it. It doesn't matter. We need to look at this from a few angles. One, the impact it's having on teenagers. Two, the impact that it has on people's health. And three, the perspective of someone who does vape. Because, and again, I don't know if I'm completely right in this, But this was a transition away from smoking. This was a way to basically smoke without smoking. You get away from cigarettes. And so we're going to actually start with the fact that it has become popular among teenagers. And you can drive by any school you want to in London, Ontario, or the surrounding area, and you're going to see kids outside, and you can always tell when they're vaping because you've got a big bloom of smoke around them. Now, there are other things that they can use that produce less smoke or vapor. I guess it's not even smoke, vapor. So they do use those at times. And some have even admitted they try and use them in class and can get away with it. So let's begin with the Thames Valley District School Board and Christine Giannakopoulos, who is a superintendent with the Thames Valley District School Board and has been nice enough to join us on London Live. Christine, how are you doing today? Very well, thank you. How are you doing today? Not too bad. Now, vaping is something that's been around for a little while. How often does this come up in discussions when you're talking about vaping in school? Uh, well, it did. It did come up um, in the last year. It's come up quite a bit, and we, uh, as school administrators and uh, senior admin here at uh, the board office, uh, do a lot of work to ensure that we are proactive with respect to informing students and families, uh, with respect to uh, risks and fines and uh, and the rules, the general rules that uh, that surround vaping and uh, Smoke Free Ontario Act. Is it something that each individual school handles making use of the Provincial Act, or is it something that the board handles and then the schools play out? How does that work? No, it is uh, every school through the board has um, um, a statement in their code of conduct that is uh, almost identical, um, and uh, and we follow the exact same um, kind of uh, rules across the board in every school. Okay. now And they all come from the Smoke-Free Ontario Act, so taken from the Act. You mentioned fines, which when we start hearing things about school, you think, well, if, if a, a student has done something wrong, there is a risk of suspension, but you never think fines. Fines, they're a thing? Uh, not through the schools, Um the fines come are issued by the officer of the provincial enforcement agency. So um, they they come in, and if they do find people um, smoking or vaping or um, e-cigarettes on on uh, public, uh, private actually on private property, then they do fine. But we don't as a school. Okay, we're talking or as a board. We're talking with Thames Valley District School Board Superintendent Christine Janakopoulos, and we're talking about vaping. And vaping is something that, that does exist. Will students try and do it inside the school as opposed to having that kind of smoking area where everybody gathers and that's, that's been going on for years? 
And we don't really have a designated smoking area. Um, according to the Act, they're 20 meters off school property, and, and we do try to encourage students and, uh, and the public to ensure that they're off school property um, when they do either vape or have a cigarette. Within the schools, I mean, there are issues that do come up, uh, and we, uh, the administration of each school will deal with that uh, sensitively and uh, proactively uh, to ensure that you know, students understand the effects of vaping and smoking. Vaping more so, kids don't really smoke in schools. Um, but vaping uh, in schools, and then uh, if uh, they're not taken seriously, then obviously, you know, there's progressive discipline that follows. When it comes to educating students, how much of that actually falls to schools and to the school board? Uh, quite a bit, actually. Um, we work uh, in partnership with the Tri-County, with the Southwest Health Unit and uh, Middlesex London uh, Health Units, and uh, it's quite a strong partnership, and, and we are putting together um, various uh, programs for cannabis use and uh, the effects of vaping and tobacco in schools so that uh, students are informed of the health risks uh, with respect to to uh, tobacco and cannabis and uh, following the Smoke-Free Ontario Act. How do you wind up delivering those? Would it be through assemblies? Would it be through other means? Uh, student voice is very important, um, and we want to know uh, through, we have uh, our Safe Schools uh, climate surveys um, that gather quite a bit of student voice, and that helps us understand um, how prevalent uh, issues are within our schools. And then proactively, we put together uh, teams uh, in partnership with the health units uh, in order to develop um, student-led conferences or, or student-led workshops uh, so that we can involve the leadership of our students in order to change uh, this culture. It's, it's really about developing in our schools a culture for connectedness and engagement um, so that they're making good choices for themselves in their future. With vaping, it, it almost became that, that thing that teenagers picked up on and said, oh, well, it's not smoking, it's this and that. How much of a battle is it against something like that when it seems to be an accepted social norm when in actuality there's more to learn about it? Well, we've done such a great job over the last few decades with respect to understanding the effects of nicotine and smoking cigarettes, um, and it's unfortunate that uh, we're seeing similar tactics in uh, marketing and advertising, uh, kind of um, uh, looking at the, you know, vaping and without really looking at the consequences, but we all know that the literature says that vaping leads to nicotine addiction and further addiction. So being very proactive with respect to um, understanding the, the consequences of vaping is, is is really where we'd like to start um, and ensure that students know uh, moving forward um, that these aren't, uh, this isn't a good habit uh, to develop at a young age. Christine, can't thank you enough for all the information. Have a great day. Thank you very much. You too. Have a great day. Christine Janikopoulos, superintendent with the Thames Valley District School Board. So, we do have students vaping. Now, is it easier to say that, well, at least they're not smoking, that's something that maybe should be left up to a health professional to let us know. And earlier today on the Craig Needle Show, he did speak with a health professional from the Middlesex London Health Unit. And Lini Lambrink, our 980 CFPL reporter, 
also spoke with a representative from the Middlesex London Health Unit. And Leany also went out and talked with students. In a moment, Leany will join us in studio and she will tell us what she heard from both of those sides as we continue to look at vaping among students, young people, and eventually vaping among any people. It's a thing that happens and it's it's something that maybe isn't quite understood completely. Can we say that? I think we can say that. This is London Live. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We are spending some time learning more about vaping and how it's dealt with among young people and certainly how it is enjoyed. That's coming up in about 20 minutes from now. We will speak with someone who has been in the industry, in other words, has worked at a vape shop for four years and is someone who sees no problem with vaping whatsoever. In fact, looks at it as an alternative to smoking. But we've got to deal with the health concerns in this and whether or not there are any. And we've got to deal with the attitudes that students tend to have when it comes to vaping. And we happen to have someone with us right now who has been able to get some perspective on both of those things. 980 CFPL reporter Lini Lambrink joins us. Lini, you had a chance to talk to students. We'll get to that in a minute. You also had a chance to talk with a representative from the Middlesex London Health Unit. Does the health unit consider vaping harmful? Yes. <laughs> it is harmful in some ways. Okay, what did they tell you? Uh, so essentially, the health unit's message about vapor products is that uh, unless you are trying to quit smoking, don't be using a vapor product. Um, essentially, it, it, it's been heavily marketed as a tool to kind of help people quit smoking. I think that's why it was originally in, invented, my understanding of it anyway. Um, but it's become very popular in, in young people. And it, it's kind of confusing because it goes by like a, a range of different names. So, I mean, vapes, e-cigarettes, uh, the health unit calls them kind of vapor products, all, all encompassing. Um, and they the juice that goes inside the tank can contain either nicotine, uh, there are varieties that are like carry cannabis um, in in some way, um, and then they could also just carry flavor. And no matter what variety you're you're using, it it has health risks. So with the nicotine, that's highly addictive, of course. So I spoke with Linda Stobo. She is the uh, manager of the tobacco control team over at the Middlesex London Health Unit. And she told me that, okay, so obviously nicotine is very highly addictive. But in young people, uh, much like cannabis, it also impacts the uh, development of uh, the brain. So, I mean, particularly crucial in young people who still have developing brains. She says it impacts uh, the parts that deal with uh, focus, learning, and addiction control. Um, I'm sure it I'm sure it kind of plays a role in, in other parts of the brain as well. But those are the parts that she mentioned. Um, and then when you're talking about even even if it's just even if the vapor is just carrying flavor, so it doesn't have nicotine or cannabis at all. Um, the juice still carries like chemicals that carry that flavor. Right. So you're introducing something into your lungs that is not supposed to be there. And I think she she said that, you know, we need to do more more studies on kind of the long term impact of, you know, vapor products. Wow. Well, I mean, if you talk to a doctor that deals with lungs, the first thing they will tell you, and this is pretty evident if you've ever seen a lung from anything, including a human, it's delicate. It's a really delicate thing. The other 
item that they will talk to you about is that if you put something that is hot into your lung, your lung doesn't like it. That's, that's not good for your lungs. Doesn't matter whether it's cigarette smoke, doesn't matter whether it's heated vapor. It's not something that your lung likes. Okay. So in other words, this is not a harmless thing. You were also able to talk to a number of students and we hear that students are able to get their hands on things like this, whether it's a jewel, whether it's a vape. And sometimes you'll say, well, how did you get that? Ah, oh, it's my grandmother. She doesn't use it anymore. She quit smoking. So eh, she let me have it. And now I have it. But getting the product over and over and over again, how old do you have to be to get that? 19 or older. 19 or older. And in the students that you spoke with, did either of them or any of them have that product with them? Yes. They did. Okay. And they were definitely not 19. That was my next question. Not 19 years old. So did they talk at all about how they access it? So a couple that I spoke to said, oh, I don't actually own one, uh, but my friends do. So I'll go over to their house and we'll we'll chooch for two hours and, and do tricks. That was one person's response. Um, another kid spoke to me, said he uh, he did have one. He showed it to me, showed me how it works, was holding it in a coffee shop and, and, and using it like right in public, which is not legal. And again, he's not 19. He is 14. Oh, so he's not really close. Is no. he one of those 14-year-olds with a beard? Did he look 19? Oh no, no, he did not look 19 at all. He looked young. Okay. I'm a bad judge of age, but I'd say definitely the kind of person that you would look at and say, oh, I should probably ask you for your ID when you come into my store and ask for a vape, which is apparently not what happens when he goes into a store. He said that he can go into a particular shop in London. He didn't tell me which one, which is fair, uh, I think. Uh, Or I'll I'll let him get away with it anyway. Um, And he said that he could go in there and there are signs on the wall saying, you know, we don't sell to minors. You have to be over 19 for this stuff. And uh, but when he goes to the cash, nobody asks any questions and nobody asks for his ID. On top of that, he says he can also get it online. Um, I mean, maybe maybe you don't want to do that. Like maybe... uh, I mean, if you have something showing up at the house, there's like a, maybe a decent chance that your parents are like, uh, this doesn't look like you should have it. So I don't know how many kids get it online. He says he can get it online uh, in that all you have to do is just, I mean, you know how if you go on like a, a liquor website or one of these vape websites, um, it says a little pop-up window comes up and says like, are you 19 or older? And you just hit yes and off you go. That's about and, it. Yeah. yeah. So that doesn't seem to be stopping him. We're talking with Lenny Lambrink. 980 CFPL reporter, and we're looking into vaping. So, in other words, the students didn't seem to have an issue with the fact that they vaped. We're not worried about you knowing that they were vaping. Anything else you got from them that kind of stood out to you? One girl was talking to me about this thing called popcorn lung, which I looked it up later, and it's like a I, – I, I feel like they might be co-opting the – the term from another like actual disease, like it's an actual condition that I think stems not from vaping. But anyway, she described this um, feeling that when she coughs, it pops and she like loved it. She was telling me how much she loves it. She says, oh, it's like the sickness is coming out of you. And that's good. Wow. And I found that a little bit unsettling because it sounds like a horrifying kind of thing to subject your body to. <laughs> oh, to be a teenager and feel invincible yes. all over again. Well, Lini, thank you so much for recapping what you have found. You can read more at 980cfpl.ca right now. Lini Lambrick, 980cfpl reporter.
Popcorn lung, huh? Yeah. See, it's cool when you're young. You know, if I went and you heard a popping sound, uh, I'd be worried. You'd be worried. I don't know. You, you might not miss me. But I'd be going to get that checked out, to tell you the truth. So that's the side of vaping that maybe gives it a negative connotation. After news with Jacqueline LaBelle, we're going to do our best to bring you the other side from someone who does vape on a regular basis and is an adult. So we're talking about someone who is older than 19 or who is not pretending to be older than 19. That's coming up as we continue on the Friday edition of London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Big congratulations to everybody who put in all of the effort that it takes to run an event like this morning's International Women's Day Breakfast in support of the London Abused Women's Center. And that was a whole lot of fun this morning and very well done. Messages that came across that make you think, yeah, okay, that I got to make sure here's how I live my life. If you missed it, then there will be another next year. But sincerely, congratulations to Megan Walker and Fabienne Haller and everyone else who put that together because it was it was tremendous. We have a lot to get to still this half hour. We are going to be talking with someone because if you're just joining us, we've been discussing vaping and we kind of got into it because of the amount of vaping you see in high schools or among high school students. If you drive by a high school or if you walk past a high school, you will see clouds of vape. Maybe you won't see big, big ones if somebody's using a jewel or one of those little pen things. Uh, You will still see cigarette smoke, but vaping has caught on among kids. And if you talk to students, they don't seem to mind it at all. They quite like it. We just heard Leanie Lambrink describing some of that. You can read some of the comments from students at 980cfpl.ca in a story that Leany has written. And it's worth the read. It really is. If you don't have teenagers, it's going to make you happy you don't have teenagers. If you do have teenagers, it's going to make you want to go home and say, hey, wait, are you... Like this guy, is this something that you do as well? So please, I encourage you to go to 980cfpl.ca and have a look at that. Now, there is another side to all of this. And that other side just happens to be whether vaping is better than cigarette smoking. And there's still a lot of studying being done. But if somebody is going to do one of the two, which is better? And how enjoyable is it? Well, we're going to get that perspective firsthand from someone who has been vaping for years, who changed from cigarette smoking to vaping and did it for a reason. We'll get that story in just a moment on London Live. Still to come, in fact, in about a half hour from now, please be listening because we're going to be speaking with Lynn Pigeot. And Lynn's brother, a little over a year ago, died at the Elgin Middlesex Detention Center. And Lynn is trying to do her very best to make enough noise and raise enough awareness that something finally gets done. We haven't seen anything done to improve what's happening at the Elgin Middlesex Detention Center. And I don't think it falls on the people working there because what is the first thing you hear about it? Short-staffed. That comes up again and again. Short-staffed, short-staffed. 
And if you run a business that has a short staff, you know that things fall through the cracks. You know that there are problems. And when you're dealing with something like a detention center, falling through the cracks is not, oh, somebody forgot to send out that package. Oh, no one was here to receive that package. Oh, someone didn't answer this email within one business day. When it falls through the cracks in a detention center, it can mean people lose their lives, and people have. So we'll hear from Lynn Peugeot in about a half hour from now. Next up, perspective on vaping that we could call pro-vaping or pro-vape. This is London Live. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. So we have heard from the school board and we have heard the education that they provide students. We have heard what some of the punishments entail. A lot of it does go away from the school and you can actually look under the criminal code. Uh, We've heard about the health unit saying that vaping can be harmful. We have heard about students who don't really care about that. One perspective we haven't had yet in this entire conversation is from someone who vapes on a regular basis. So let's change that. Let's try and be as full-sided as we can on this issue. Joining us right now is Taylor Wetton. Taylor has been in the industry of vape shops for four years now, works at North 49 Vape, that's on Wellington in London, And he joins us now for a perspective that we haven't heard yet. Taylor, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Not too bad. You are someone who vapes. When you vape, I mean, it was easier to count with cigarettes. It was, wow, I smoke a pack a day or a half a pack a day or whatever it is. How do you quantify vaping? You don't. That's the thing. And that's a lot of the, that's honestly one of the most common questions that I get is, how many cigarettes is that when they're looking at the nicotine? It's not um, based on, I guess you could say, the amount of cigarettes somebody has. It's based off of the feeling, the nicotine absorption. So a lot of the misconceptions around nicotine, because I get customers coming in on a day-to-day basis saying, I don't want nicotine. I tell them, no, you want nicotine, you just don't want to smoke. Because the thing is, nicotine is a benign substance. It has no cancer-causing agents. It's just a drug. It has a same effect on the brain and body as caffeine. So when you're trying to quit smoking, your body wants the nicotine. What I tell people is don't focus on how much nicotine or how much you're vaping. Focus on the fact that you feel satisfied and that you're not smoking. And that's kind of the big attribute. And is that not where vaping came from? This was a way, I don't know whether to compare it to the patch or not, you could help us out there, but this was a way to get away from smoking and kind of ease your body into not smoking. Was that not it? Um, for the most part, it, uh, I can say that it is a alternative to tobacco products. Okay, because like you say, it can contain nicotine. Doesn't always have to though, right? Okay, so it can contain nicotine and is not something that you are getting tar and whatever else comes with cigarettes. So why did you start to vape? I started to vape because um, at the time, 
I was actually training to be a professional wrestler. And I had no lung capacity whatsoever. I was anywhere between half a pack to a pack a day uh, because at my old job, I was extremely stressed. And I found cigarettes were the means to cut back that stress. When I was training to become a professional wrestler, I would only be able to train for about 20 minutes before I started feeling sick because I had no stamina whatsoever. I had a friend who vaped, and actually he was from Buffalo, um, and I had actually gone and visited him in Buffalo and picked up my first vaping unit there. Now, the downside to that is this was about five years ago, five, six years ago, and vaping was extremely expensive back then. I dropped probably 250 bucks to get started. But the thing is, I stopped smoking that day because I was using the vape, I was getting the nicotine that I wanted, and I wasn't getting um, all of the other trash that's inside cigarettes into my system. So I just, I threw out my last half a pack and I told myself, I'm just going to vape. After about three to four months, I was finding that my lung capacity improved, my stamina improved, and I was able to go from rolling out of the wrestling ring every 20 minutes to possibly throw up because I was feeling sick to lasting an entire hour, hour and a half training session without feeling like garbage. And that was, to me, the best thing about it was that I can continue my training and I could have more faith that when I start to actually wrestle in front of live people, I wasn't going to be that person who halfway through a match would go, no, stop, no, stop, I'm dying, okay. <laughs> and and that, that, to me, has been one of the best things is I, I, I got a lot back from actively smoking. Taylor Wetton's joining us on London Live. Taylor is with North 49 Vape at 1120 Wellington. And so there's the story of someone who has gone from being a cigarette smoker to someone who does vape. Now, we don't know a lot about vaping. And, you know, you hear from people, we mentioned this earlier, that you're not supposed to take anything that is hot into your lungs or we don't know what these chemicals are going to do. How much of that enters into your mind? Um, well, I've done a lot of research on my own um, to not just the uh, studies that go on in Canada, but the studies that go on inside the United States and the UK as well. Um, I'm kind of a nerd, so I want to know as much information as I can before I do something, especially before I sell something to a customer. I want to know that I'm informed on not only the hardware, but the scientific side of things as well. Um, so it doesn't really factor into my mind too much because with vaping, uh, and you can even see if you, uh, look on the government of Canada's stance on vaping, one of their first, uh, points that they state is that, um, vaping is less harmful than smoking. Many of the toxic and cancer-causing chemicals in tobacco and the tobacco smoke form when tobacco is burned. And that's one of the biggest benefits to vaping is that you're not getting combustion. Um, yes, you're inhaling vapor. Yes, you're inhaling nicotine. But you're not inhaling all the other additives that are within tobacco and not to mention the smoke itself when it becomes combusted. Now, let's take the... I guess the popularity of vaping, would you put an age range 
on it in the people that you wind up seeing at North 49 Vape? Well, uh, I'm going to say 19 because that's the legal age. And we do ID every single person that comes into the store who looks under the age of 25. But I would say our market is anywhere between 19 to 65. So you would have not just, you know, young people, you know, in their 20s or whatever. You would have people who are in their 50s, 60s. They'd be coming in as well. I Most of my most memorable customers are the ones who are in their 50s to 60s who can come in and say, I've been smoking for 40 years. I, I want to try vaping. And their stories to me are motivational first off, but also inspiring because they're just, they want to make that change for themselves. Um, I would say a majority of our customers are over the age of 25. When you look at the flavors and the way that vape is, is marketed, how much of that plays into people trying it out, do you think? Well, the first key uh, thing to that sentence is marketed. It's not marketed. It's illegal to market in Canada. The most marketing vaping gets are these um, news stories demonizing it. Because that's the big key. With how Canada's laws are right now, no vape can be actively marketed towards a consumer. But demonizing vaping is allowed. All of these companies who are releasing posters or ad campaigns or anything like that, telling people vaping is more harmful than smoking. These people are allowed to do that, but for somebody to go onto a website or go onto a local news station or a TV station and try to make a commercial saying, make the switch to vaping, Ontario says it's less harmful, you're not allowed to do that. Isn't that wild? For that. Because, yeah, and I it, feel like vaping is marketed, but I would have to look a lot more closely at that. It's, it's kind of the negative effects that bring it into the conversation and maybe the, the word of mouth that would come in and, it, and people you talk to saying, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm vaping the root beer flavor that I've got going on here. Yeah, that, that there aren't actual commercials. And that's the thing. I had a customer in uh, shortly before you called me, and they said that they were, were watching an American channel, and there was an advertisement for vaping. But you can't find that in Canada. And the thing with a lot of people's arguments towards vaping right now is the flavors. And to me, flavors are pivotal about getting people off tobacco. I'll say probably about 30% of the people who start up vaping start with a tobacco flavor. That's a given. But... Once they've gotten off of cigarettes completely and once they've kind of gotten over the taste of tobacco, they want to do something different. Um, There's also a large amount of people who want to start off with something different because they they don't smoke because they like smoking. They smoke because of nicotine. They smoke because of stress and everything that they gain from tobacco. So when somebody comes in, they says, I hate smoking, but I smoke. They'll do a cotton candy flavor. They'll do a strawberry and cream flavor. And they'll find that to be more satisfying because I find the key to switching from traditional tobacco products to vaping is to make it as enjoyable, if not more enjoyable, than when you were using traditional tobacco products.
Taylor, we want to thank you for providing the perspective you have on this topic. It's uh, really appreciated. No problem. I'm always happy to help uh, educate, I guess you could say. That's one of my favorites about working within the industry is seeing so many people come in and being able to teach them about vaping and about what they're questioning. Because for me, having as much information is the easiest way to make the best informed decision. Hey, that's a good way to live life right there. Taylor, have a great day. As well, thank you. Taylor Wetton, the perspective from someone who vapes on a regular basis, and he is part of North 49 Vape in London. So if you look at it, if you believe there are risks, but you accept those risks, if you believe you are well-informed, you know, it's not one of those things that becomes a whole lot different from smoking, does it? We've got a couple calls to get to in just a moment, an email to get to in just a moment. We'll do both of those things next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We were talking earlier about popcorn lung. Leanie Lambrink had mentioned it that one of the high school students she had talked to who vapes on a regular basis, when she coughs, it makes a popping sound in her lung. And she called it popcorn lung, whether it was, we can't say for sure, but Eugene sent a pretty useful email saying, hey, popcorn lung? is not a joke or fun to have. It's a form of bronchitis causing permanent lung disease from inhaling a toxic chemical chemical, uh, called diacetyl. Diacetyl is found in the process used to make the butter and buttered popcorn and was the cause of a mysterious disease found in workers in a popcorn factory. Same chemical can be found in vaping liquids. No evidence that vaping causes popcorn lung, just extended use could cause it. So, Eugene, thank you for that. 519-643-2222. Marilyn, how are you on this Friday? Who? Are you talking to me? Yes. Oh, Marilyn? I am. Marilyn, it's Mike. Yeah, okay. My daughter uh, saw you this morning at the uh, breakfast. Oh, did she? Yes, and she said you looked like a very nice man. (laughs) And she was was talking with um, Andrew Lawton. All right. And with Irene Matheson. Now, my daughter was the poster girl woman for abused women in 2016. I didn't know that. Uh, Mary Meadows from um, St. Thomas. Marilyn, I did not know that, but now I do. Well, uh, she's a wonderful, wonderful girl. I'm sure she is. She picked up breakfast and came here. Uh, afterwards, about just after 10. Please tell her get- next time that if, if we're meeting uh, or if, if she happens to be at the breakfast next year, I plan to be there. Please tell her to come up and say hi, okay? Yeah, like she, I think, you know, she felt maybe a little bit shy because, you know, she she knew Andrew because, um, of course, Andrew came to my birthday party. Gotcha. And uh, Mary looked well, after tell her my next party. time. Marilyn, we've got to run for news, but tell her next time, please come up and say hi. I would love to meet her. Thank you for the call. Thank you, dear. Bye-bye. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. We will have news coming up next with Jacqueline LaBelle, and then we're going to be in conversation with Lynn Peugeot. Her brother James, a little over a year ago, died while incarcerated at the Elgin Middlesex Detention Center. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL.
This hour, we are going to talk some hockey, a few other things to get to, but we're going to start with a very serious story. We're going to start by speaking with Lynn Peugeot. And Lynn is someone who you're going to hear a lot about in May because she plans to walk from the Elgin Middlesex Detention Center all the way to Queen's Park. And as the Junos arrive, you may hear about Lynn or you may hear from Lynn if you happen to be going to the Junos. And we do have a prize pack to give away that we are going to give away on Monday that would get you into the Junos. Well, if you're walking past Lynn, there will be a rally, a demonstration. Some have called it a protest right before the Junos. And all of this goes back to January of 2018. And it goes to the Elgin Middlesex Detention Center. When was the last time you heard something positive about the Elgin Middlesex Detention Center? It's been a really long time. Has there ever been anything positive said about the EMDC? I don't know. I can't find anything. Nothing specific. Not, hey, this place has, and then fill in the blank. Not, hey, this contributes this. No, we've had ministers tour through it that have been just shows. That's like going to a parade. Somebody comes down and parades through, and, well, yes, we'll definitely look into this. It's been years. It has been years and years. And we have seen a lot of tragedies. And in this story... You can't look at it from the perspective of, hey, this was an inmate who died. I don't want that to come shining through because this was a person who was at the Elgin Middlesex Detention Center and they died. That's the ultimate thing. Not this was just an inmate or how did this person get themselves there. We'll get to that part of the story. But this was a person at the Elgin Middlesex Detention Center who one year ago died at the EMDC. It was January of 2018, and that person was Lynn Peugeot's brother. His name, James Peugeot. And we're lucky enough to be able to speak with Lynn right now about her brother, about the situation, and about what she is doing to try to bring some awareness to what is happening. And maybe, with that awareness, some attention. Maybe with that attention, some change. Lynn, thank you very much for joining us today on London Live. Let's go back to January 2018, if that's okay. How did you find out that your brother had died while at the Elgin Middlesex Detention Center? Uh, it was around about 10.30 in the morning. My dad um, had called, and I kind of... Uh, yeah, I kind of uh, knew something was up because it wasn't like my parents to call me so early in the morning on a weekend. So when I answered the phone, my dad said, you know, um, Jamie was found deceased in his cell. And it was kind of like a five-minute, five like, silence because it was so believable. It's like, you're, you're kidding. He's in a place where he's supposed to be safe, and that's impossible. Yeah, it was shock. Immediately, what comes to mind? Questions like how and, and why and, and those sorts of things? Were you able to get any answers like that? 
Well, right at first, that's exactly what I said to my dad. I said, like, how, you know, uh, what happened? And, you know, what are they telling you? And at that point, the police had been to my, my parents' house, and they had sat my parents down and said they believed it was an overdose at that time. Um, but, of course, they had to wait for the autopsy and everything at the investigation. So, yeah, that's it just kind of, yeah, we were all in shock, all of us. And then, in the end, what did you find out about the death of your brother? Um, so shortly, at, well, a few months after we found out that it actually was um, an overdose, um, he had uh, 0.19 fentanyl, he had uh, morphine in his system, and he had um, some cocaine in his system. Uh, the morphine, he wasn't prescribed, so I don't know exactly where he would have gotten that from. Uh, my brother was jumped by inmates on November 2nd of 2017, so he had a broken vertebrae, uh, one and two in his back. Um, so he was confined to a wheelchair when he when he died. So it was a lot of, like, wondering what the heck happened, and yeah. Lynn Peugeot is with us on London Live, and we're talking about the death of Lynn's brother, James Peugeot, last January at Elgin Middlesex Detention Centre. And if you look at the statistics, he was one of 13 that had died at Elgin Middlesex Detention Centre between 2009 and his death in 2018. There must be some kind of of desire to, to do something, to change something. What was it like dealing with those feelings, Lynn? The feelings came on uh, more so after when we uh, get, were able to get James' um, belongings from his cell. And my brother was very um, good. I, he kept a journal, a daily journal of his time spent at uh, EMDC uh, when he was in there 2017. It was a real eye-opener eye with uh, the lockdowns, um, you know, constant, uh, well, constant lockdowns, being denied seeing a lawyer, being denied seeing, you know, families or anything. And that was due to short staff. And he wrote that in his journals. It was short staff, um, so, you know, and then they, every couple of days or so, they would let him out for showers and then back into the cells again. So it, it was heartbreaking because we did not know that Jamie was going through this. He kept a lot away from my parents, especially my mother, because, you know, he didn't want to hurt her. He didn't want to worry her. He was very protective of her. So we had no idea that this was going on at EMDC at the time. What do you feel might have helped him in the end because you've had a lot of time to think about that and also actually sitting through the adam cargis trial recently um i learned that you know the government really needs to step up they need to listen to the frontline workers you know they need to hire more staff in there they need to um you know, get the training that these guys need to deal with. Um, so there isn't lockdowns. They need a lot of help. They need the government, like I said, to step up, listen to them. This is what we need and get it done. You, there will be no more Jamies if they, if they do that. Lynn, what had taken him to Elgin Middlesex Detention Center in the first place? Um, so he was accused of armed robbery, um, I guess it was back in January, I believe, of 2017, and he was arrested and put into EMDC in uh, March 2017. 
It has actually since um, since Jamie's death, we found out that he actually would have been cleared because uh, we found proof that he didn't do it. So, yeah, so he was just waiting for trial. That's all he was doing. He was in there for that long, waiting for trial. Lynn Pijo with us. Lynn, you are doing things to try to exact change, and those things are certainly garnering some notice and some attention. Can you tell us where that started? Okay, well, it started, like I said, with the journals. Um, we had to get, uh, we had to get um, what Jamie was fighting for. He was communicating with the, um, with the press. He was uh, communicating with the Fifth Estate with inside that jail. And so when he passed away, um, we decided, okay, we're going to take up his fight. We're going to get the word out there. We don't want any more inmates or families going through what we went through. So we took it up. We put the crosses out. We had a rally um, last June 3rd. We've been emailing, um, talking to people. So it, got, it brought us to now. Our voices aren't being heard, so we need to get it out of London. I don't live in London. I live in uh, Brampton. And I have not once ever heard of anything happening at EMDC up in my area in the last 30-some-odd years I've lived here. So we need to get it out of London. We need to bring it to Queen's Park and say, hey, this is what's going on. Fix it. Lynn, those are strong words. What sorts of things have you attempted in order to get people to notice this situation? Okay, so recently we've, or starting this year, um, we've taken out a petition on change.org, Changes in Corrections. We are over 600 uh, signatures the last I checked today on that. That was taken out last Saturday. We've also, uh, my mother and I have sat in Kevin Egan's office this this past week, and we've um, discussed about the upcoming Junos. And we will rally there. We don't like to call it a protest. We're not there to be... um, rude or breaking the law in any way. We want to put our, let our uh, voices be heard and our presence be felt. So we want to rally um, when the Junos are there. And then, um, like I stated this week, in uh, March, May, sorry, May 26th, um, I will be doing a walk from EMDC to Queen's Park. That's a long walk. It is. And in the hope of, of, obviously garnering more attention to Jamie's fight, to your fight, in order to get people to take notice of this. What would be a victory for you? Would it be answering the phone one day and having an MPP on the other end? Would it be answering the phone and, and having the premier on the other end? What, what would be the ultimate that would, would tell you, hey, something is finally happening here? The ultimate thing would be if the Premier and the Minister of Safety and Corrections, who we don't hear much about, um, Sylvia Jones, it seems like Bill is doing a really good job, but if Sylvia Jones picked up the phone and talked with the frontline correctional officers and sat down with them and said, okay, let's come up with a game plan. What does EMDC need? What does Hamilton need? What does Toronto South Detention Centre need? Sit down, listen to um, all these frontline workers, do something. That would, to me, would be the ultimate, you know, that's, that's what we're looking for. Let's fix it. I don't want any more Jamie's, out, you know, dying. I, that's our goal. One thing that you haven't done a lot as we've been talking, you, you don't seem to, to have a lot of direct blame for EMDC, that, hey, if only this person had done this or if only this person had done this. How do you keep from feeling like that? 
because no amount of blame is ever going to get my brother to jump out of that box that I walk past every time I go into my parents' house to see to see them. You know, uh, nothing's going to bring him back. Nothing's going to bring back the other inmates. And like I said, I'd rather attack the problem than the people. Let's sit down. Let's work it out. Let's get this fixed so no other family has to go through this. It is devastating to watch your parents. My mother, you know, collapse over my brother in, um, you know, in his coffin. And then my dad, you know, trying his legs give out on him because he can't stand there to look at, his, you know, his youngest boy in a coffin. So that's the goal. That's what keeps me going. Let's do it so no other family goes through this again. Okay, Lynn, as a, a final thing, we're talking with Lynn Peugeot. You mentioned the rally that you're going to have during Juno week. Where and when are you planning it? Uh, we're planning it on the, uh, well, beyond the 17th, um, right near the door, not near the doors, but, you know, close enough that the artists going in and out, they can see us. Um, the London police have reached out to us, so know that we're going to be there. They're going to guide us to the right area so we're not breaking any laws. Um, and we just want to get our awareness out that way. We'll hand out little uh, flyers. We'll, you know, like I said, some of these artists, they take up the cause. They take notice because they are Canadian. So, you know, I'm hoping that they're going to see what's going on in their backyard and maybe spark some interest with somebody there. And that's it. Just we're going to rally and bring um, the petition so more people can find it, I hope. Lynn, thank you so much. Where do we find the petition right now if someone is interested in signing it? It's called Changes in Corrections, and it's yeah on change.org. Perfect. Lynn, thank you so much for all your time today. Thank you so much for calling and getting Jamie's story out there. Lynn Pijo. That's Jamie's story. He's an inmate at Elgin Middlesex Detention Center, and he became in a form of numbers, number 13. 13th inmate to die at Elgin Middlesex Detention Center between 2006 and 2018. It's a lot of people. And you can say, yeah, but but they're in Elgin Middlesex Detention Center. Don't do that. Don't let yourself do that. Because that's not fair. You know, and we take a look at this. There are there are issues in so many things. And today's speaker at the International Women's Day breakfast at the convention center looked at the court system in a number of ways that women have to deal with it and abused women have to deal with it. And the number of times that you have uh, a case go against them for reasons that you would never believe that they are subjected to certain scrutiny, the time between this court appearance and this court appearance, and we see that all over the place. And again, I don't know how you fix it. Our court system, could it be better? How? What Do we need more lawyers? Do we need more courthouses? What do we, what do we need more of? Because when you've got wait lists, you need more of something. In the healthcare system, when you've got wait lists, You need more of something. And I'm not sure how to fix the court system. I'm not even going to guess. But we have had people on London Live before who have given theories, who have said, you know, it it comes down to certain cases being dealt with in different ways. Well, if you're waiting for trial, 
and Jurgen Elgin Middlesex Detention Center for a long time. We're talking 2017 to 2018. And you are still waiting for that trial. And you have staffing issues. And you don't have an adequate number of guards. And you don't have adequate supervision. Things are going to go wrong. And they have gone wrong. But again, nothing gets fixed. And you heard Lynn Pajot say MPP Sylvia Jones has got to make herself heard. And... You know, we I wouldn't I wouldn't want it to happen again if it was just another parade. Hey, look, the government is coming to tour Elgin Middlesex Detention Center to see what's going on. That time is gone. But you need someone to take this up as an issue. And so far, no one has. And I think it's for no other reason than there is no easy answer that it probably extends beyond Elgin Middlesex Detention Center. Getting back to our conversation yesterday, when you don't have a remote control, change the channels, it's hard. People avoid doing it. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. If you have any thoughts, please feel free. 519-643-2222. Email mike at 980cfpl.ca. This is Global News Radio, 980cfpl. If you're just joining us, we just told Lynn Pichot's story. Her brother, James, was found dead at the Elgin Middlesex Detention Center. And it's yet another story of, unfortunately, a long line of stories that we have heard. And Lynn is going to be holding a rally right before the Junos on March 17th. She's going to walk on May 26th from EMDC to Queens Park just to try to raise awareness, try to do something. Is there anything that can be done? Does anybody have a quick solution? That's the problem in this. There isn't an easy one. Probably involves court reform. 519-643-2222. Tom, how do you feel about this? Well, there's a couple things, Mike. First of all, shoot, my phone. I'm going to have to call you back. My phone's acting up. Sorry about that. I'll call you right back. All right, well, hang on. We'll we'll head for news, and we'll talk at about 235. Is that okay? Perfect. Okay. Sounds good. All right. We'll hear from Tom. If you have any thoughts, 519-643-2222. You can email mike at 980cfpl.ca because it would involve a lot of reform to get this done because a lot of the backlog ends at certain correctional facilities. And Elgin Middlesex Detention Center is one. You know, you, you get into trouble and that's where you go. And then there are other spots that you wind up going. Millhaven is another one that you wind up going if things progress even further or if there are more serious charges. And that's just kind of where the line begins. And when there isn't proper staffing, there can be problems. You take away supervision from anywhere and you are going to find problems. And so often, that's what we hear as the number one reason that we experience issues, a lack of supervision. And I don't hear anybody putting it at the feet of the guards on a completely regular basis. We did have that in the Adam Cargas case, but it's something that that comes up again and again. Brad, we've got 60 seconds, but they're all yours. Hey, Brad. Uh, Hi, Elgin Middlesex. If they have a problem, don't go there. 
simple solution. So how how would you avoid going there? You mean don't get into trouble? Exactly. Yeah, I mean that's that that's the thing that I try and live by day after day. I bet you try and live by it day after day. Unfortunately, the people who do wind up there, I don't think we can just leave there. You've got to make sure that they are looked after, don't you? To a certain extent. I mean, how much money can you throw at the problem though? And uh since when is uh somebody else's responsibility ours, right? You know, stay out of trouble, you don't get sent there, you don't have a problem. That's the that's the easy fix, Brad. Thanks for the call. No problem. It is the easy fix, but I don't see it being that easy. Because if it was that easy, people would have learned not to go to jail by now. People would have learned to live on the right side of the law, follow the rules. Most of us do it. Not everybody does. So it brings up the much bigger question of, so how far do you go? How far do you go in protecting somebody who's broken a rule? I think you still have to protect them. That's just me. We'll talk a little bit more about this and a few other things after news with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We have a little bit more time to talk about corrections and EMDC if you would like to do that. 519-643-2222. We talked with Lynn Pichot. Her brother James died at EMDC a year ago, and she's trying to raise awareness over the fact that it appears to be a supervision issue. He died of a drug overdose. So could that have been prevented? I mean, we can't get into the specifics of that. But the fact that we had another death at EMDC, she's just trying to raise awareness to deal with things like staffing issues, to deal with the way that it is run, so that, as she has said, there are no other Jamie's. Jamie was her brother. 519-643-2222. Tom is back. Tom? Yes, oh, that's better. Okay, there's a couple of things, Mike. First of all, uh, EMDC is a, is a, is a hellhole. It's, it's uh, unique. It's not really unique in that, but it is um, somebody, somebody close to me, um, unfortunately, has been there and has also been in the Windsor Jail. And just the difference between being in the Windsor Jail and the EMDC the way the guards are, the way the guards treat the inmates, the whole, the whole atmosphere, the whole culture is like day and night. There's something going on at the EMDC. The, the guards are, I think the guards are in charge of the asylum, and the guards are basically miserable. They don't want, you know, I guess one of those things, if you don't like your job, don't be there, right? But, you know, find something else to do. So the guards, there's something going on at EMDC. I guess it's, it's just a hellhole, and it's a miserable place to work. And, and, but that's, you know, that's just, that's the one thing. The other thing is our court system in particular, and particularly the, um, the prosecution, the, the judges, the whole system, all the way down to the, it, it, it's, a, it's a long line of people that can be um, blamed for this mess. But I, I say that same person was in the EMDC for a year, almost a whole year waiting for trial. Now, now, this is in the prosecution's best interest, right, to keep people in that hellhole, because after a year in there, he would have pled guilty to cannibalism to get the hell out of there. You know what I mean? Like, and, and that's what they do. They keep those kids. This, he's a kid. They keep these kids, these young men, mostly, in there for as long as they can, because then these people will plead guilty to anything just to get out of there, and they get a check mark beside their name, the prosecution. 
So they should be actually for every person that's, that's died in there. It's it's a largely on the prosecution and the judges too because it takes so much time to get through our court system. So many remands, so many this and that, just to just to drag it out so that everybody makes a lot of money. And these people are all making money off it. It's just a big money making enterprise, and it doesn't have to be like that. These these trials, these court cases can and should go a hell of a lot faster than what they do, and they are dragged their asses for, for a reason. And the reason is just to get a star and get that promotion. Tom, you say the, person that, the, you say the person that you know dealt with a certain attitude from the guards at EMDC. Was, was the staffing level ever mentioned? It's not, there, there is no problems with the staffing level there. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's all that's a union thing. There, there's a that's a union thing. There, that's the first thing that they 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 cry is staffing level. Whenever they don't do their jobs, well, we need more money. We need more people. But the union always needs more money. That's all they ever say. There's no problems with the staffing level. It's just the it's the attitude of the guards. According to this person, it's the attitude. Of the, it's the whole culture. It's the whole atmosphere. The guards are miserable at EMDC, which transfers down to the down to the population, which makes the population miserable, which there's now more fights. There's more drugs at EMDC than there is outside. There's more drugs inside than there is outside on the streets in there. And that's a fact. And, and they, I thought they were going to get some scanners. There was all this talk about all this stuff. And you know some of the scanners don't work. The drugs are still getting in there. The guards know it. Everybody knows it, and they let it happen. The guards know, let it happen, and... I mean, the guards are in on it just as much as everybody else. It could change, and they don't want it to change. They like it the way it is. And it's, and it's these young men, mostly young men, that are dying in there. And somebody should be held accountable, and it's got to start It's got to start from the top. It's got to start from the prosecution. It's got to it's go to the courts to get these things through faster. And, and these, these guards that are in there, they know, they know darn well. You know, that, that poor Cargus kid that died, they knew, they knew what was going on in there. They knew that that... That that um, that man that was drunk. There's a lot of booze in there. They knew that. They knew that guy was drunk, and they knew that that, that young man would have would have been in trouble with that with that uh, man with that. Uh, I, I believe his name was Doc Stater. Being in and the they, cellmate. And they and they locked him. They locked him. Those two in the same cell, knowing that there'd be problems, and they just don't care. And that young man was beaten to death. And they they. I'm not saying that they knew he was being beaten to death. But they knew that they that those you know they knew the guy was drunk. They know there's booze in there. They know there's drugs in there. It's just it's a hell hole. And I mean they should they should clean the whole place out, privatize it, fire everybody there, and 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 move. You know I mean it's just I I think it's gone too far in there. Tom, thanks for your thoughts today. You're welcome, Mike. Bye bye. Five one nine six four three twenty two twenty two. Let's go to Kevin. Kevin. Hey Mike, how are you? Not too bad. Yeah, the, the one part of that story, uh, my girl that I had a real problem with was. Oh, Kevin, we may have lost oh, you. Sorry. Oh, you're oh, back. We got you. Okay. Well, was the, the fact that while he, while he was in there, that he was beaten so bad that he broke his back and was in a wheelchair? That's, that at, is at what that his sister point, had like, said. That, that's, I mean, it's not as bad as him dying, but that's, that's pretty close. You, you got he got arrested for something that clearly he didn't that he didn't do that they found out afterwards. His sister has and said, yeah, they, and, they have evidence and of that. Was in a wheelchair. Well, oh, she said man. he was beaten, and yeah, at that time he was in a wheelchair when he was found dead. 
Wow. Yeah. That's 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 just as bad. Dude, that's a that's 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 terrible. Absolutely it is. Absolutely. And that's why Lynn Pigeot is doing what she's doing to try and, and bring about some kind of change. Do we need to privatize our jails? Would that help? They got, they got to do something because that's, 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 that's wrong. That's wrong. If, if it works, then yeah, something's got, something's got to go down though. That's just it. And that's the message Lynn Pigeot has given. Kevin, you have a great Friday. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. 519-643-2222. As we now head back to the phones uh, with Mark. Mark, how are you doing? Well, let's try and get Mark. All right. Mark, can you hear us? No. There we go. Mark, how are you? I'm well. Thanks Thanks for taking my call. I, uh, I worked at a jail for a short period of time, and um, it's really hard to have sympathy for some of these people. The, um, I've, I've, I wasn't a police officer. I worked with police, and I worked at the jail. I, I don't want to go into much more detail than that. And, uh, you know, you, you pick up some, um, I could think of some, you pick up the dregs of society, let's say, and it's really hard to sort of keep uh, some kind of sympathy or some kind of, you know what, I've picked you up three times this month. Get in jail, go there. I, I really don't have a lick of sympathy for this situation. You know, when you, you make your choices in life, you chose to do those drugs, you chose to get drunk, you chose to lip off to the officer, I'm sorry. I, I really don't have a lot of sympathy. And I, I agree that there are those cases, but I don't think that encompasses every case, though. Does it, Mark? No, I'm not, I, and that's, that's where, you would, where I would draw the line on my point is nobody deserves to die or get beaten to a pulp. Um, but it's really hard to, you know, I, I, you, you've got to be there. I, I had one incident where I'm driving. I, I, I won't go into detail. Well, well, what had happened was the cop had got called to a domestic. Um, both the husband and wife were beaten black and blue. The, the, uh, the parents got taken away. You take the kids. You got any answer, uncles? Yeah, they live across town. Okay, we'll take you there. And you walk into another domestic situation where they're on drugs. The whole family's a mess. You know, and I'm driving the cop home. And this is a police officer, a tough guy. And he's crying. You, you, you know what I mean? Like, like you, you, that's what you're dealing with, and it's really hard to, um, really, really hard to have a compassionate, uh, any compassion left. But anyway, hey, appreciate the call, Mark. Okay, and Mark brings up some great points, and the idea that we do have people in this world that aren't helping it out, and we always have had, and we always will. And it's almost like you want to make that tiered system to say, okay, if you are the person that, as Mark indicates, we're picking up three times, you're not getting your life on track, you have no desire to get your life on track, your children are suffering, then you're at one stage and you're in one tier. And if you've got somebody who is picked up, maybe they're in the wrong crowd, maybe the wrong place at the wrong time, but they still aren't a lost cause, they're another tier. But human rights won't let us do that. There's no way we would be allowed to do something like that. Just like you can't institute a test that you have to pass to have a child. Oh, 
Can't do that. Human rights won't let you do that. But we wind up with difficult circumstances. We wind up with people who probably cannot be put into a place and rehabilitated, no matter where. But in this case of the EMDC, it's got to be something that changes the fact that lives are in danger. I don't care whose lives they are. I don't care what value you put on those lives. Every life has a value. But at the EMDC, if we've got deaths, and we do, and if we've got, you know, Tom outlined it. He knows someone who has spent time in Windsor, spent time at EMDC, two different worlds. We'll take a quick break. If you still want to get in on this, you can. 519-643-2222. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Time for just a little bit more on this, and then we'll talk about exceptional status, and we'll talk about the London Knights before we close out the show. 519-643-2222. Mohammed, your thoughts on this? Um, so I actually volunteer there. At EMDC uh, at Elgin Middlesex Detention Center? In London, yeah. Okay. Um, I don't want to talk too much about what I do there. I am a volunteer. I would like to say that the volunteer services there are, the staff are amazing. But I would say that the officers that work there, echoing some of the callers, I didn't get to hear everything, but some of the callers, I believe that there needs to be a big structural change. Because even as a volunteer working there, it's very intimidating. They're very rude, even to the point where probably been about three months I haven't gone back. Me, myself, I am a doctor, but I go to volunteer there um, to see people, talk to them, the inmates that are there. But I have found myself, and I have talked to people there, they have like a superintendent, or just, it's it's very horrible. Like, you go there, you're there to volunteer, um, nothing's in order, you might ask for some help with something, people are rude to you, you try and see someone, they make it very difficult. They send you around in a maze. I think it's important to understand that there are some people, the the gentleman with the British accent, there are some people I believe I, I understand his sentiment. They've done some horrible things, and you know what? You know, that's what you deserve. But there are a lot of people in there for certain types of things that are trying to reform themselves. And the people that are in charge of them, I feel, are not suitable and they shouldn't be working there. That's my personal experience. And I think there really needs to be change. It's, it's, it's horrible. Even just as a volunteer, it's, it's daunting, intimidating. And it makes you feel, and this is like when you go to be a volunteer, they'll put you in an interview. And I'd like to say the volunteer coordinators there are amazing. The chapel service is amazing. The people that are working there, they're really there because they want to do But they'll know internally they do not, like, there's this huge war between the police, the POs and then the volunteer staff and the coordinators. They don't like you there. They don't want you there. And all of that involves reform. And I think it's a really, it's an epidemic. And I think you'll only know uh, parents that maybe have people in there and our loved ones in there. And then people that volunteer, they'll, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about because you'll sit and they do this huge you have to, like, go through all this stuff, and there'll be other people that are volunteering for other reasons. They might be part of an AA association or some other thing. You meet them, and you go through all this, and they'll tell you the horrible stories they get um, from just trying to... I think there's been times where I've been there for three hours. I only got to see two people. But I'll have a list of, like, 14 people I need to see to talk to. 
Now, so Mohammed, I'm I'm really happy that you've called today. When you talk about, you know, the people that you have to deal with who are not very helpful, are rude, as you have called them. This isn't doesn't sound like it's one or two people. Sometimes in an organization, no. oh, that person's working tonight. Uh, I wish they weren't working tonight. It doesn't sound like that's the case. No, it's a lot. That's my personal experience. It's a lot. And I voiced it once, and I was actually worried to voice it because you're in this place. I'll just explain how crazy it is. You go in there, you put your stuff in a locker, you go through all of the security checks, open door, closed door, open door, closed door, and then you're left in this hallway with some instructions to find people. And then you got to go knock on this area, then someone leaves you at the gate for 20 minutes, then you ask to request to say, well, who are you? But you have a name tag. What are you doing here? Who do you want to see? The way they speak to you or... And I mean, once I did voice it and then I was given advice to just stop because they're also in charge of your safety. It's really... I mean, it's very daunting. I, I would say that the volunteers that I saw that are still doing it on a, on a regular basis, you know, I commend them. It's not easy. And then I just think about people that are left in there that are actually inmates, what they go through. It's very scary, and I'm not shocked because since I got involved in this, I hear the stuff that's on the news, and I say to myself, I'm not sh- like I'm not shocked that these things occur, that people are talking about people, uh, you know, someone being left to be beat to death, or you know, these things. But I really think there has to be, and even the people within it that are in the volunteer services, um, that I've voiced my opinion to. I mean, they tell you we, we, we're aware that they don't they don't like volunteer service. They don't like it. They don't like all these people coming in and then they have to accommodate you. So they make it very uh, difficult on you to the point where sometimes you just don't want to, you don't want to go. And I mean, that's my personal experience, but I have found some that are very helpful. They'll ask you, where are you going? Okay, I'll help you this way and that way. But then you'll find someone who's just five feet away from you and he'll make you wait there for 20 minutes. Uh Mohammed, I really appreciate you calling in. This this is a great perspective that you've provided. Have a great day, and thank you for volunteering there in the first place. Okay, thank you. Take, Take care. care. How do you like that? You've got a doctor volunteering their time saying it's a daunting place to be. It's a place without a whole lot of help. That says a whole lot. This story is unfortunately nowhere near close to being done. This is London Live, Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. The London Knights will be in action tonight, taking on the Flint Firebirds, and then their schedule flips a switch. Saginaw, Guelph, Sault Ste. Marie, Saginaw. It's going to be a wild finish as they try and capture not just number one in the West, but number one overall in the OHL, still within reach. London Live brought to you by courtesy Ford Lincoln at 684 Warncliffe Road South. Thanks to Matt McInnes for his help today. News is next with Jacqueline LaBelle on Global News Radio 980 CFPL.